1: Happy 4th of July, everybody. You know, Matt Baker has written a very interesting story in the Tampa Bay Times about the struggling financial situation in the athletic department at Florida State University. And if you think Willie Taggart is on the hot seat, well, think again. We're only a couple weeks from the SEC Media Days, and the ACC and AAC Media Days will be here very soon as well. We're going to break down the storylines at Florida State, Florida, South Florida, and UCF, and talk college football with the Times. Matt Baker on this edition of Sports State Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, it's really hot out there. That means your air conditioning is running all the all the time, and I'll bet your electric bill is very close to, if not over, three hundred dollars, like mine. Well, if you want to save ninety to ninety-five percent off those electric bills, listen to me now. May Electric Solar. That's right, they're a locally owned company, and May Electric Solar is the safest solar available. They don't use high voltage like many other companies. And May Electric Solar has a 25-year warranty on their equipment and labor. Now, they have a full showroom. You can see their products. They're open on weekdays. And May Electric Solar has been around for 12 years. They've earned a great reputation with their customers and peers. Now, there's many other solar companies that are imitating them, trying to use their great name. But remember, they don't use subcontractors, and they don't subcontract for any company in any other way. Everyone knows it has to be May all the way. So stop the insanity of these out of control electric bills and start saving now. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862, and if you call right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit by changing to solar energy through 2019. Call the real May Electric at 727-819-2862. Okay, Matt Baker joins us now and uh, Matt, before we get started, we're going to talk a lot about uh, you know, just what's heading into I guess it would be their training camp with Florida, Florida State, USF, and the like. But I wanted to talk about this story that you wrote, um, which is a, a really detailed story, remarkable story that uh, you wrote based on, on, on some public records that you obtained with respect to Florida State and the seminal Boosters, um, you know, forming uh, the Florida State University Athletics Association and how it might uh, impact, you know, Willie Taggart and, and other things uh, involving Florida State's athletic program. First of all, I mean, I think there was a perception perhaps that, you know, Taggart after a a really bad uh, first season at FSU might, might have a, you know, might be on the hot seat, but financially after reading your story, that doesn't seem to be even possible. Explain to us uh, just sort of some of the things that you discovered in this uh, records request.
0: Sure. And thanks for having me on Rick. Um, So yeah, I I requested a bunch of documents um, from Florida state regarding how they're forming this new athletic association and, the, the quick summary of it just bear with me for a second but fsu's sure. athletic department is kind of sort of in some ways merging with the booster club um, to give kind of more power pa- split the power a little bit more evenly give the boosters a formal voice at the table kind of streamline things more and so i wanted to see kind of what was behind what was the impetus behind this what were the discussions behind the scenes so i requested some documents uh, i got 302 pages is what I was given, and as as I started reading it, literally the bottom of the first page is a uh, the, the sentence that says, "As we all know, the FSU athletics program has been struggling financially." And you know, as it says, that's, that's been known for a while. The AD has talked repeatedly about how their uh, deficit in the uh, the 2018 fiscal year was you know three and a half million dollars, plus or minus a little bit, and that the 2019 fiscal year wasn't great either. But I started reading through again the 302 pages, and there's some kind of oh my god stuff in here. I mean, uh, they were talking about the Booster Club potentially selling assets to help make balance the budget a little bit. Um, there's talk about how you know the ticket sales are are still bad. All the ways FSU was trying to cut travel and, and when they recruit foreign players, um, having coaches kind of travel with, you know, coaches from other schools to save money. And one of the, the lines that couldn't get out of my head was um, the, the AD telling the boosters, you've done a great job of saving for a rainy day, but from his perspective, it's about to start pouring. Mm. So, and, and the, the, the boosters themselves, the, the, the head honchos of that organization said, like, you know, they knew the numbers were bad, but it was difficult to actually see them. So I say all that to say, you put all that together. And look at FSU's financial situation. Um, you know, w- Willie, we'll see what he does in year two. Year one obviously was bad. Even if they wanted to get rid of him, and there's no indication right now that they would want to get rid of him after year two. But even if they wanted to, that would cost around $17 million. Think about what everything I just said about how it's about to start pouring financially. and They just have to make it through this year. Does that sound like a school that wants to, pen- to spend $17 million to get rid of a football coach right now? Plus another, you know, plus, you know, however much they'd have to do to to buy the new coach out of his contract at his current school and then all the assistants. I mean, you add all that stuff up, it's it's just not a good situation. So that to me is one of the reasons why I I can't see, you know, barring a a major on-field disaster, horrible, horrible attendance or a scandal or something like that. That's why I can't see FSU getting rid of Willie after this year.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't seem so. And, I mean, attendance started to wane a year ago. I mean, how much is this part of the equation, or is there something bigger here? In other words, you know, with the kind of money that uh, we see in in college athletic programs in terms of their their operating revenue and stuff like this, it it just doesn't seem uh, likely that they would find themselves in this situation. I guess the question is, how did this happen?
0: Yeah, and that's a great question, and I don't have great answers to it yet. I don't have their books in front of me. Um, but sure. I, I do think there are there are a few reasons why um, FSU more so than I think a lot of the other schools in the ACC. FSU wants to be kind of the well-rounded university where where they're really good at a bunch of things athletically. It's not like you know Clemson cares about football first, second, and third. FSU, sure. I mean, they just won a national championship a year ago in softball. Their women's soccer team is always really good. Their their men's basketball team has been to the Sweet Sixteen recently. So they want to kind of do everything. Well, And that's going to cost money, in addition to running a really good football program, or, or there's the hope at least. Um, and the other thing, too, is the ACC, yes, FSU is in a Power 5 conference. Like, you know, the ACC absolutely is. But there's a big gap between what the ACC gets annually and what the SEC and the Big Ten get regularly. And, and let's be clear, when it comes to football, FSU is competing or should be competing more with your Floridas and Georgias and Michigans. More so than Wake Forest and, and Virginia, so there's a big gap there too. That you know FSU is trying to spend a, a lot to keep up, but they're not getting as much coming in. Um, and then, as you mentioned, the, the attendance has been way down. Um, that's happened really uh, after the 14 season or so. There were, I believe, it was around the time there was some starting to be some drop-offs. And certainly, when you look at the schedule, FSU has been playing very good non-conference teams, but they've been outside of, of Doak um, at the, the one-off sites. And their, their nineteen schedule is, is, home schedule is just really bad. Uh, it's mm. uh, it's Miami and then a bunch of also-rans that aren't interesting for, for a lot of the fan base. And, you know, they're going to fix that in the coming years. Next year, they get Clemson and, and the Gators at home. Uh, Notre Dame's coming, and I think, 21. They've got a series with Georgia. So they're doing some things to kind of try and get the attendance going right. And obviously, it's a national issue too. Attendance is down just about everywhere, but certainly the the hit that FSU has taken, and I think it's going to take in twenty nineteen too, uh, is certainly playing into a financial situation that is not good.
1: And I mean the the you know the inability to pay certain teams, the better opponents maybe to come here and play them, certainly at home, that would all tie into the schedule, right? Well,
0: here's 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 the, the backwards way this works. Um, if you want to play the really crappy teams to get a win, that's $1 to $2 million for a team like a Louisiana Monroe, um, sure. a, a directional Michigan school or something like that. And it's, it's weird because you have to pay that much money for them for a game that nobody wants to see. You're just trying to buy a win. Um, but that's you know that's the way it's going. And, and that's the way, again, a, a lot of the schools nationally are going away from those type of schools. Um, heck, the, the mm-hmm. Gators this year. They're playing two one 1AA teams this year Towson and um, the, the, the mighty, uh, whatever they are now, used to be the Pacers at, at, at Tennessee Martin. They're doing two because they, they had a scheduling hole, something fell through. And instead of paying, and again, one and a half million dollars to play a directional Louisiana school or something, they said, you know what, we'll pay half a million, six hundred thousand, and play Towson instead. Um, so the, the finances are just really worked. And it, it's going to be fascinating to see how these schedules, non con schedules, Look like in, in, in ten years, um, but for the time being, FSU's home schedule is not very good. we are working on ways to improve it, but again, this year it's it's not. If I'm somebody in Tallahassee or Tampa or West Palm, and, and I'm an FSU fan wanting to see games, there's not a lot of home games I want to see on this year's schedule.
1: So, how do you go about cutting expenses? I know you you know you write that uh, the upcoming ACC network could give them seven to eight million dollars once it's fully operational. And these games that are in the future, like Georgia and others, will will certainly help uh, maybe the attendance and those sort of things. But in the meantime, what what do you do with an athletic program that you said is committed not just to football, but to also all these other sports to save money?
0: Well, I mean, you just kind of look at every single thing that you're doing. I mean, I think you have yeah. to look at uh, everything from coaching salaries and assistant coaching salaries. You have to look at just what are your uh, your infrastructure costs. What are your um, travel costs? You no, know, maybe there's times, right? Does it
1: affect <clears> them? <throat> Absolutely. At all? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I think it's it's all of the above. When you when it, I mean when you're facing a, a three you know, three and a half ish million dollar deficit in eighteen, and then they needed a a transfer. Of, I think it was six point one five million dollars from the boosters in May to balance this year's budget. You're looking at those things, and you got to do everything you can to try and get things. Uh, try and get, get right side up, knowing that the 2019 schedule, again, just the way it sets up with your home games, which is where you make a lot of your money, it's it's not going to be there.
1: I think it's interesting that, you know, on the field, Willie Taggart didn't have the best year, but I think you we're discovering just how bad Jimbo Fisher sort of left this program and what hands yep. it was in. Um, now, all that said, I mean, Willie has done this before, right? This is not his his first turnaround opportunity, and it's taken a couple of years in the past. Does that help him or hurt him in this instance? We know that they can't afford to buy out. That doesn't seem likely. Um, but is there faith that that, uh, that Taggart, you know, sort of knows his way out of these ruts a little bit?
0: Well, it's the first part of your question. Yes, it absolutely helps him. I think it helps him from a public perception standpoint. I think FSU fans know that. Hey, this guy did it at Western Kentucky. This guy did it at USF. I mean. I, I always I'll remember I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before I, I remember uh, you know, Joey Knight our, our wonderful USF writer he and I were, did these videos a couple years ago kind of previewing every week's games I remember talking to him either before or after shooting one of these in our what was our Wesley Chapel office at a strip mall off 54 or 56 he was telling me like yeah when this is done I got to write an obit because I think if FSU loses to Syracuse I think Willie's going to get fired <laughs> um, that, that, that didn't happen and then a couple of years later he's <laughs> playing Syracuse as the head coach at Florida State University um, so yeah he, he's been through this before I th- think that helps him from a public perception I think it helps him personally knowing okay this, uh, this, this is what I've done before with less talent now I'm at a bigger stage with more talent here's you know maybe the same things will work um, the other side of the coin is FSU is not a particularly patient place um, as, as you said we know now that the situation Jimbo left was worse than we thought at the time. The culture was worse. Um, the talent was still there. But there's a whole bunch of problems, including, obviously, the offensive line that Willie inherited and was going to take time to, to dig out of. But I still think last year was so bad. I mean, historically bad. First losing season in, was it 41 years, the end of the bowl streak. You know, Losing 41-14 to the Gators, getting humiliated at home by Clemson. All that stuff has a lot of questions about whether Willie is the guy. And as I've gone back and forth in this long. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Uh, about how much was on Willie, how much was on Jimbo. One of the things I can't get over, the, the end of the Gators game was in the fourth quarter. Uh, Florida State had the ball kind of in its it, deep in its own end zone, if I remember right. And Chauncey Gardner, the Gators defensive back, yelled over to the Seminole sideline, hey, y'all ain't got the right number of guys on the field. How y'all think you can beat us if you got 10 guys on the field? Mm. Here they were 47 quarters into the season and FSU couldn't line up correctly still.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh. I mean, that's not it. That's not a Jimbo issue. That's a Willie nope. issue, and it's really bad. So, we'll see what happens, but you know, there are reasons if you're an FSU fan to be optimistic about the long-term future because Willie's done this kind of turnaround before, but not lining up correctly 47 quarters into a season is doesn't inspire a lot of confidence either.
1: Yeah, you got to take care of the details, that's for sure, if you're going to do anything with the big picture. So on the field, of course, uh, the quarterback situation will still be in flux. He's got James Blackman. He's got uh, Alex Hornibrook from Wisconsin uh, on a one-year thing. Uh, but I think the offensive line, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, is is going to tell the tale as far as their offense goes, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no question. I mean, the offensive line last year was historically bad. I mean, it was definitely one of the worst in the country. I think certainly the worst in the Power Five. Uh, they were, what, third to last in the country in terms of uh, tackles for loss allowed. Um, I mean, it, it was just awful. Um, now, then <laughs> if you want to be pessimistic, they lose Alec Eberly, who is the, the center and one of the only really kind of competent players. Um, how, however, I think if you want to be optimistic here, it's not I don't know how it could get a whole lot worse. Um, certainly some of the players that they, they, they brought in, you know they brought in a Juco guy. Um, Roberts is a, a transfer from NIU is going to have a chance to contribute I think immediately. So maybe some of these guys get get you know stay healthy first of all and then are, have gotten bigger stronger and, and more adjusted to the offense enough to contribute. but yeah if the offensive line doesn't get substantially better, they're, certainly, they're you know they're not going to be a nine or ten win team if the offensive line doesn't improve, or doesn't improve a whole lot. Then I think missing a bowl is an absolute possibility too.
1: Matt, in a couple of weeks, you'll be in beautiful Hoover, Alabama for the SEC uh, meetings. I've never been to oh, Hoover. Yeah. but I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a nice place. It's lovely um, this time of year. That's always that's all yeah. I'm sure that's always <laughs> an exciting an exciting time because it means football and college football, which I love and you do, uh, is right around the corner. Um, let's talk about Florida and and the job that Dan Mullen did, of course, last year. He's got an experienced quarterback in Felipe Franks. Uh, we expect their offense to, to be, continue to be productive with, with Mullen. Um, but I think it's the defense and some of the talent they have on that side of the ball that, uh, that continues to be the story for Florida, right?
0: Yeah, I, I think to some degree, I mean, this is a, this is still the university of Florida. So the quarterback is still the most important uh, player and the most highly scrutinized I mean when you've got three Heisman three statues of Heisman trophy winners in front of the swamp that's kind of what you sign up for um and, mm. and Felipe Franks you know he made a one of the biggest jumps in the country from uh, from his first year as the, the starter to, to his second so we'll see what he can do going forward but yeah the defense is, is really interesting too I mean uh, obviously they lose a, a good amount of talents you see Jefferson and uh, Ja'Kai Polite was one of the best, one of the better pass rushers, edge rushers in the country. I think the secondary is really interesting, too. I mean, there's again, there's a good amount of talent, but there are some question marks. I mean, Marco Wilson's coming back from a knee injury that he suffered, I think it was in the Kentucky game. Uh, it was I believe it was ACL. So we'll see whether he's able to contribute immediately and return to being one of the better cornerbacks uh, in the SEC. And there wasn't necessarily a ton of depth in the secondary, and then you take away Chris Steele, who was the highly touted blue-chip recruit, um, who signed with UF, was there in the spring, and then transferred soon after. Then committed to Oregon and eventually signed with USC, if you can keep your head straight on all that. So wow. th- they lose one of their most promising defensive backs, uh, youngsters, in, which who is definitely going to play. And be a key uh, contributor, I think there. So the, the secondary is really interesting. Um, the, the way the the way the schedule sets up and everything. I don't think UF is ready to com- to compete with Georgia to win the East, but I do think they could certainly be a nine ten win team again and have a chance at a New Year Six Bowl.
1: Gators open against South. Miami, so that will be uh, something to watch early. USF and Charlie Strong. Ah, uh, he's got an experienced quarterback, of course, back himself and Blake Barnett. But the biggest addition on that side of the ball has to be Kerwin Bell. What would they expect uh, from from a guy like Kerwin, who's who who seems to know offense? Uh, he's he's been successful wherever he's been.
0: Oh, absolutely, he's he's been successful at the the uh, the, the D two level, won a, a championship at, at Valdosta State. But you know, the question is going to be whether that all that stuff can translate to to the uh, the group of five AAC um FBS level and I, I think it can i mean he's it i think to some degree football is football and a lot of times we kind of over overthink sure. things um I, I do think USF's got a good amount of talent there you know Blake Barnett was a blue chip recruit uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the country who's bounced around but i think this will be his if i remember like his 100th different uh coordinator and different offense since uh, his, his high school days so We'll see how he adjusts. <laughs> we'll see how he adjusts to everything, but you know, Kerwin Bell is just going to be really interesting to watch how that plays out uh, as USF gets going.
1: And then uh, finally, uh, a couple more things uh, about the uh, the AAC. But first, I wanted to ask you, where is UCF now? Are they uh, going to be back in the hunt? We expect them to uh, to contend for uh, for that that conference as well.
0: Yeah, I certainly think they're going to be on the short list. Uh, you know, Cincinnati has recruited really, really well since Luke Fickle has been there, so I think Cincy is in the mix. Memphis is, you know, continues to be one of the better teams in the the uh, the West of that division. Will be good. Houston to me is really interesting because I mean, I, I love Dana Holgerson. I think he is about as smart offensively as it gets. I covered him when he was the the OC at, at Oklahoma State. Um, so him going from West Virginia to Houston to be the head coach, pitting him with a guy like Derek King, it uh, was just a, an electric athlete at quarterback. I think Houston's going to be really interesting, but absolutely UCF is going to be in the mix. The, the question there, you know, Mackenzie Milton's not going to be ready to play this year, and hopefully he he gets healthy and can play again because he's fun to watch and by all accounts a, a good human being as well. So who's going to be the quarterback? I mean, uh, Mac played some last year, wasn't necessarily great. Um, but they also bring in Brandon Wimbush, the, the Notre Dame uh, grad transfer, who should be in this, the mix as well. So the the quarterback competition there is still unsettled. Um, I'm curious to see how it all shakes out. But however it shakes out, I do think UCF is going to be one of the top couple teams in the AAC again.
1: Speaking of the AAC, UConn is leaving the AAC. That's a basketball decision, it would seem, but it also has obviously a residual effect on, on the football conference um, as well. So tell me what it what it means to uh, to this conference without UConn.
0: Well, the first thing it means is that not just to the AAC but to all of college football. One of the great rivalries in all of sports is is lost with the the civil conflict between UCF and UConn. That that storied, uh, wonderful, splendid rivalry that was made up and they made a trophy for it. Um, <laughs> that's the first thing that it means. What, what it means. What it means going forward is the AAC. Has eleven members or will, and I, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, and, and that's what's what's fascinating. Um, we talked about this before we got on the air, but uh, conference realignment. It's been a few years since all the dominoes have really fallen. With Nebraska going from the Big Ten, the Big Twelve to the Big Ten, A uh, and and Mizzou going to the SEC, and and all the dominoes that that went with that. When when those things shook shook out. Television, TV markets was the big thing. You know, it, it, the SEC network wanted TV markets like Houston and Dallas to add to to the cable TV models and and all that stuff. But things have changed so much in those, you know, eight nine years, whatever it is. I mean, I recently cut the cord, uh, so it doesn't really matter to me. Um, and there's plenty of people like me. So the the I don't think TV markets is the big thing that a conference is looking for nowadays when they're trying to figure out who they want to join. The question is, what are the things that a, a conference is really looking for? So I think I, I'm, I'm kind of want to use the AAC here as a prism to give, a, give me some hints of what a conference is looking for as we're looking in, in the 23, 25, 26, 27, somewhere in that range when the dominoes are gonna start falling again. Are they looking, is it still TV markets? We'll see. Is it football brands, in which case I could see uh, BYU, potentially Army? I mean, Boise State would be one that makes sense if, if Boise wanted to, um, as, in terms of uh, schools that the AAC could, could target. Is it, um, does basketball factor into it as, as, as much or at all? How much does academics matter? Does that mattering anything more? Or the, the other possibility is, are there just not a lot of great candidates out there? Um, in which case, the AAC might kind of stay pat, and I'm not entirely sure what that would mean either. If uh, ESPN doesn't think that there's a school out there that's really kind of worthy of six, seven, eight million dollars a year, so or and and two, just kind of up and coming schools. You know, the bigger schools like a Georgia State uh, and North Texas, and bigger markets that are kind of growing, trying to be the next UCF. So there's a lot of potential targets for the AAC. I'm curious to see. What they end up doing and trying to read the tea leaves, what that means for five, six, seven years down the road, when it's the Big Twelve and the Pac-12 and the Big Ten having these conversations.
1: It's going to be interesting to see how they realign. I got, I got one nominee. How about Arkansas State, the Red Wolves? <laughs> I think they're ready. I think they're ready think for they're a ready? step up in competition.
0: <laughs> well, I, I could, I could agree with that. The problem is uh, they're not necessarily the big enough name to uh to get no. me and tampa <laughs> no. t- tuning in uh like a like a, a boise state would um yeah. although i mean you you do make a good point there are there are plenty of we well, got that memphis I think... for god's sakes i mean you know yeah you, you got a you got a geographic rival there right yeah, Ma- maybe maybe uh maybe the bulls will be going to was that jonesboro
1: jonesboro nothing like it yeah i mean miami ducked them a few years ago they decided <laughs> not to go but uh, wasn't so there hurricane? about
0: that <laughs> wasn't there a hurricane coming rick
1: yeah, there was a real hurricane, but then, you know, I don't even th- I don't want to get into it. I know, you know, I think it missed Miami, but that's okay. No, I understand. I'm not too bitter about it, but yeah, I'm a pitch for my Red Wolves. Look, it's college football season. We're going to talk college football. I got to get a I got to get a Red Wolf mention there anyway. But uh the guy you need to read, and I'll tell you, uh, if you haven't read this story on Florida State and Willie Taggart, go to tampabay.com. Uh this is real reporting. This is somebody going through 302 Documents uh, that he got uh, as part of the Sunshine Law request, and uh, and it is a fascinating story by Matt Baker, who covers college football for us. Matt, thanks as always. We can't we we can't wait until we have you every week when the season starts, or we get closer to it. Thanks, man. Me too. Thanks, Rick. Man, we're so close to college football season. Can't wait to have Matt Baker on every week. The Yankees are in town. They begin a four game series. Uh, first pitch today at five ten for your Fourth of July. Celebration, the final series before the All-Star break. We're taking Independence Day off, so there won't be a podcast tomorrow. But don't worry, starting Monday we'll have a very good show for you with Ed Werder, the longtime NFL insider for ESPN, who covers the league now for Westwood One Radio, among others. He'll talk about his amazing career. And on Tuesday, a very personal and inspirational story about how his family has dealt with cancer again and again and unfortunately again. My good friend Ed Werder on Monday and Tuesday's podcast, and, folks, uh, you know, these electric bills are going up and up here in the summer with the air running all the time. If you want to save some money on your electric bill, call my friends at May Electric Solar. If you do that right now, you can also save uh, 30% tax credit by changing the solar energy through 2019. Call the real May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day.